This is a HeadGum Podcast. While Andrew and Craig believe the joy of discovery is crucial to enjoying any well-told tale, they will not shy away from spoiling specific story beats when necessary. Plus, these are books you should have read by now. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Dads and grads. Dads and grads. Tis the season to That's grad your dads. I didn't have anything else to follow up with. Sure. Well, I have a quick correction from one of our listeners. Not correction, maybe. Just a, hey, what's up? Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. Happy Father's Day, Andrew. Oh, thanks, Craig. Okay, now do your thing. What? Well, you said that's all you had. I, I, I tried to give you a bridge into saying how great a dad I am, but it's fine. You didn't take it. It's okay. Well, okay. So hope this correction is just <laughs> for me, let's say, because you're a great dad. You do a great job with your son. Your son's really wonderful. Um, great. Cool. And, okay. and it's clearly a product of all the dadding that you do and have done for the past year. <laughs> oh, um, but so this correction is just for me, let's say, from Rebecca. Okay. It says, okay, overdue, but let, cross that out because you're a great dad and it doesn't count. Okay, okay. Craig, I love you, y'all. Whatever, but by calling Voltaire's mistress whatever the female version of a marquis is, you missed out on researching Marquis. One of the, Marquis. Well, exactly, researching one of the most extraordinary women in history. Introducing, and I I'll cut to the Wikipedia page. Gabrielle Emilie Letonnier de Bultil, Marquis de Châtelet. I I got you know I I'm, I'm an sure. equal I'm opportunity not, not mispronunciator sh- of French. I was gonna say I'm not sure you're helping yet. We will talk about uh, Hong Kong's The Vegetarian, I promise. But first, I got to tell you that uh, Emily du Châtelet was a French natural philosopher and mathematician who did a lot of work on Newtonian mechanics and influenced people like Bernard, or no, work translated with Bernard Mandeville and influenced people like Voltaire, who we talked about, um, as well as Diderot and Jean Laurent d'Alembert. Uh, lots of people owe their smarts to Emily's smarts, and I was remiss in shortchanging her work. So, cool. You got anything else, Dad? We didn't, so we didn't say anything wrong. We just said we just didn't say anything smart. <laughs> she and and apparently, like because of her association with Voltaire, she has throughout history been basically just referred to as like a person Voltaire was with for a long period of time. Okay, that's okay, the okay. main now, reason. Now I get it. All yeah. right, there we go. We fell into a history trap is what it is. Yes. All right, cool, cool, cool. Well, I'm glad to climb out of that trap. Um, so every week one of us reads a book that we've never read it before and we tell the other person about it. This week, like you said, you read Han Kang's The Vegetarian, which mm-hmm. uh, published in South Korea in 2007 and then uh, published in 2015 um, in the UK after being translated by Deborah Smith. Um, and then in 2016, it was published in the US. Sure. Um, uh, so the book had only... The interesting thing about the translation is that it was... The Vegetarian was sort of known before being translated by like people who enjoy South Korean literature and pay attention to it. Um, Han herself um, has been publishing since 1995. This was her second novel, I think, but she's published stuff pretty steadily for the last like two and a half decades. Yeah. 
Um, but I guess the book had only sold between 2007 and 2015. It only sold like 20,000 copies, which is not a ton of copies. Relatively, then, yeah, speaking. It's still more right, than right, like right, 10 right. copies of a book. But yes, yes it is right. not. But um, but after it was it was translated, it won the uh, Man Booker International Prize in 2016. A couple of firsts for that. It was the first work to win the award after it was changed to be given to individual works rather than bodies of work. And then um, both uh, Han and Smith won that award together, which makes Smith the first translator to share the prize, which is sort of interesting. Yeah, uh, I watched an interview with the two of them where Deborah was speaking about the work of the translator and making sure, because she's done some other Korean novels before, but wanted to make sure that she, you know, was getting things right as best she could, but then was very gracious to Han for the things that she didn't know she was getting wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, Han said in that interview, I think that was done by the, the, the Booker Prize people, um, that she... Can, she has felt very alienated from her books when they are translated into languages that she is not fluent in because like uh-huh. she sees her face on the book jacket and she knows that it's her story, but she literally can't read it. Um, mm-hmm. But she was able to participate in the process with Smith and, and Smith was very gracious for that. Um, so it's kind of neat to see them uh, yeah, sharing the credit for this book that has really taken off. Yeah. Um so some interesting notes about the translation. I we, we can talk about Han a little bit more, but since we read the English translation, yeah. we talk about translators a lot on the show. Just wanted to spend some time um, with the like minor controversy that came out, especially after the uh, the book won the uh, Booker Prize. Um, so uh, Deborah Smith was born in 1987. She's a British translator, and she'd only started learning Korean like six years before starting this translation. Hmm. Um, she was 28 years old at the time, which is completely wild to me. <laughs> and um, Korean, like South Korean media, I think, has accused the translation of including some errors or just like taking liberties with the original language. Uh, huh. There's a long piece um, in the L.A. Times about this. Um I had that, not I had not read any of this. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, first, there are indeed quite a few errors, which is not surprising for a relatively new learner of the language. And yet I would argue that these are mostly minor and do little, if anything, to de- derail the plot. He, the, they go into a few um, specific uh, mistranslations. And then um, more troubling is that Smith occasionally confuses the subjects of sentences in several scenes. She mistakenly attributes dialogue and actions to the wrong characters, as in one bizarre exchange where the brother-in-law ends up referring to himself in the third person. <laughs> um, but goes on to say, you know, I think these mistranslations, uh, quote, are something of a red herring. Um, but a deeper issue is her stylistic alteration of the text. Um, even if Smith had corrected all the obvious errors, it still wouldn't have changed that she poeticized the novel. In terms of tone and voice, the vegetarian is strikingly different from the original. Uh, for one thing, Smith amplifies Han's spare, quiet style and embellishes it with adverbs, superlatives, and other emphatic word choices that are nowhere in the original. This doesn't just happen once or twice, but on virtually every other page. Taken together, it's clear that Smith took significant liberties with the text. Uh, and then the the piece goes, you know, after after laying out these misgivings, the piece go, does go on to say... You know, translations are tricky. Some people want them really literal. Some people don't care about that as long as like the meaning is is transmitted. But really for the the audience, like the people who are consuming the work, 
it's sort of moot. Like if the if the end result is good, which the vegetarian translation is, then you know you can forgive some some liberties in the text. But it bring it raises questions of when do you call it a translation versus an adaptation? Um, like another translator could have produced a more accurate version, but I find it extremely doubtful that anyone could have matched the virtuosity of Smith's work as a first time effort. Smith's translation is still a stunning achievement. Um, and then, yeah, just to, to put a bow on this before we start talking about the book, Han does stand by Smith's translation. Like it's hmm. not a, it's not an issue. Like you said, they worked, you know, they worked together on it. It's not a thing where, um, this has caused some kind of feud or rift between the yeah, two of them. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I just thought, I thought it was interesting. Yeah, I, I had no idea coming in because I, I this was a Patreon recommendation from Francis. Thank you, Francis. And as I got into it, like I think I read the blurb that was like, a lady decides not to eat meat and it causes problems for everyone who knows her. And I was <laughs> like, okay, well, we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah, we we all been there. You know, can't can't go to any restaurants with a vegetarian. There is a scene about that, <laughs> but yeah. yes. Um, and so not knowing anything about that, uh, you know, coming a little bit into the reading of knowing that it had won some prizes and stuff, but, um, and not being familiar with Han's work at all. Is there anything else on her background that we should hit on, Andrew? I know we talked, she has been writing pretty continuously for the last few decades, but. Yeah, just that she, you know, she's lived in uh, South Korea for, for most of her life. Uh, she studied Korean literature at Yonsei University, um, uh, she currently teaches creative writing at the Seoul Institute of the Arts, um, and is uh, she's published by my count and by my count like seven niche novels and then poetry books, essay books, um, other stories. She is uh, she wrote some music and recorded it that went along with one of her books. Sure, <laughs> um, some of her. And, I, I think this was adapted into a film at some point. I know at least one of other of her books has as well. Or one of other of her stories, because um, mm-hmm. this was based on a story that she wrote. What was something called like the wom- the fruit of my woman or something? The fruit of a woman, um, and then it sounds like a bad like original series Star Trek episode. <laughs> yeah, I don't think <laughs> yeah. I might be getting a little wrong, but um, and then she that is I don't think extant completely in the novel but it was about a woman who turns into a plant uh and mm-hmm. she kind of held on to that idea um as she approached this text yeah um, and then um last thing she participated in the university of iowa international writing program oh in 1998. sure that so thing. that is that's a program of some renown if i if i'm not wrong i'm i would be interested to know how many times we've referenced that program on this program yeah, I mean, I would be interested, but not interested enough to go back. Oh, I'm not doing it. If one of our esteemed <laughs> listeners wants a project, they can go for it. Make a spreadsheet. Have a ball. Yeah, with spreadsheets. But, you know, as with many authors we cover who are who are contemporary, like there's not a big body of like scholarship around her in particular. So you get you know the sort of uh, bibliography or the biography basics, and then. Um, and this and is then, her main work also like Yeah, this yeah. is her her most famous work and so you get some some commentary and some interviews and reviews around when the book came out and that's what you got to go on. Yeah. So, yeah. Um so coming into the book, let's talk about like what it is 
And then I have it's a book. F- oh my god, I've been doing this so long with you, and you just got it. Um, <laughs> and then uh, talk a little bit about the story. Stop me along the way if you want to, sh- you know, refer to a review or something like that. And I have one or two quotes from Han that we can talk about as well. Um, the book is structured in three parts. It is a triptych or a trilogy. She has said, I think triptych is a good, uh, frame of reference for it. There was one interview where they were like, some people have said, this is a collection of short stories. And she's like, nah, it's definitely (laughs) stories that are meant to be read in sequence together. Um, they all center on this woman, young Hay, who is a part-time graphic artist and homemaker, um, though it is never told from her perspective. Uh, she is the titular vegetarian, and everyone else we meet in the book is either related to her, in some sort of relationship with her, or like caring for her in some way. Okay. Um, and each of the stories is told from a different person's perspective. I think it's I think it's all set in Seoul. Um, I don't think we leave the city for any reason. The first story, The Vegetarian, is from her husband, Mr. Chong's uh, perspective. The second story is from her brother-in-law's perspective. It's called the it's called Mongolian Mark, and he never gets a name. I don't know why. I'm, if I reread this book, I might come up with a reason why. Um, we can just call him Mongolian Mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, and the third story, Flaming Trees, is all told from the story from the perspective of her sister Inhe, uh, and they go in sequence. They're not we don't like jump around or anything like that. So you you had mentioned that the first of the three stories would give us the most to talk about. Like, are you ready to to get back into up why that, claim? that is yet, or <laughs> where do you want to begin? I, well, I think we begin at the beginning, which is the first story, and it's the one that is like the premise of the novel, which I think is why it perhaps bears the most conversation for us. Um, it sets up a lot of things that I think are crucial to the story and to why the book works, or at least worked for me. So like told from Mr. Chong's perspective, we occasionally get um, like first person in italics, like dream paragraphs from uh, Young Hay that, will explain sort of why she becomes a vegetarian, but like we don't okay. spend a lot of time with her. And so the that, book, that's as close as you get to being in her head yeah. is like that. And then whatever dialogue she has. Yes. Which is not a lot. Um, yeah. That's what I, yeah. <laughs> from the reviews and, and synopses I read. Yeah. I, I that tracks <laughs> the, f- the beginning of the book also lays out the real messy male characters of this book. Like I, it's it's not the type of toxic masculinity that we kind of talk about when we're talking about like American toxic masculinity, but it, it's just like these dudes who just suck. Like these dudes just suck <laughs> in this book. And by the second page, this guy has you know confessed in his first person perspective that he's like uh, maybe not first. Per- I don't remember. Um, in his perspective, that she is a completely unremarkable woman. And that's basically why he married her, because he has, quote, always inclined toward the middle course of life, Uh, which means everything from like, you know, not really caring about himself and taking a job that pays enough, but not too much that they would ever like care about how okay his work is like he's a guy who's just really 
embracing if you can be really <sighs> mediocre but be really good at embracing mediocrity like that's this dude I feel like we all know a middle manager or something in our <laughs> lives who is like this. And I, you know, there are t- there are days where I feel like this dude in in my own estimation of myself. I aspire the, yeah. to not live those days for very long. But there are days when this energy is the best <laughs> that any of us can do. Yes, and he which has, is not which is not to say that it's the same as being like endemically this guy. <laughs> no, yes, he is kind of really. This is his brand. And he, you know, talks about how he was not attracted to her when he met her. He doesn't really find her attractive now, but that's fine because, like, she seems just whatever to him. And so he doesn't really need to worry about his flaws. Like, she's just going to be there with him, whatever. Cool. Yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, They've been together five years. They've put off having a kid because, like, they're so blah together. They don't really spend any of their free time together. She'll just go read a book in her room. Um, (laughs) I guess sometimes they have sex. It's really kind of whatever. The only remarkable thing about her, he says, is that she doesn't like wearing a bra. Like, sometimes when they go out, he will, like, find that she has, like, surreptitiously removed it because she finds it uncomfortable or doesn't like having it on or something. And he's never like asked her about it. Like that's a perennial theme of their relationship. Is he just, it never came up. He's just isn't, you know, he's interested enough to go, huh, that's strange, but not interested enough to actually like investigate the person that he's married to and like find Mm -hmm. out more about her. Uh, So this is all done in like the, first couple pages in the book and then we get to one of the first like really striking visual images which is a thing that i think really works about the book overall again it's hard to know where smith begins and han ends you know in terms of the language but yeah he comes downstairs i think he's like really thirsty because he drank a bunch and he needs some water and she is just staring at the open fridge like framed in the darkness of the rest of the kitchen And he's like, what the heck is going on? What's up with you? And all she says is, I had a dream. And then she closes the fridge and walks away. And he's like, okay, that's weird. That's messed up. Mm -hmm. Next morning, he's late for work. She did not wake him up like after he overslept. And he goes down in the kitchen and she is on the floor. And every piece of meat or meat-related object from their fridge is either on the floor or making its way into a trash bag. And she's putting everything in the garbage. And he's like, what is happening? And she's like, I had a dream. He's like, all the meat. And she's like, I had a dream. And that's it. And that's it. And he's like, you didn't iron my shirt. I'm late for work. And she's like, she doesn't say anything. This was the Wait, first. That's not the, f- that's not the first question I guess I would have <laughs> gone to. But it does. It has been established that these these people aren't uh, on the same wavelength. No, they are not. Um, he, he remarks, this was the first time I'd had to go to work without her handing me my things and seeing me off. So like that tells mm-hmm. you some things too. Uh, then we cut to the first of many snippets of her dream where she is like wandering through the woods. She goes into a barn-like building. She sees 
like straw matting over the door and then I'll read the quote here. Roll it up and I'm inside. It's inside. Long bamboo stick strung with great blood red gashes of meat. Blood still dripping down. Try to push past but the meat. There's no end to the meat and no exit. Blood in my mouth. Blood soaked clothes sucked onto my skin. And that's some of that like that language and that style of writing is the hallmark of these dream sequences and I don't I don't find them particularly florid. I find them very graphic. Sure. If there if that difference is discernible, like it's not it's not overwrought with adjectives or adverbs or anything like that. It's just very direct and very specific and it is poetic. Um, I mean, are there are there other passages that that are less direct or or Okay. Is this just kind of characteristic of the the writing in the in the passage like it seems like as a translator or as a writer you you would read this if if this is anything like the original korean and you would know that adding more stuff is like (laughs) cutting against it it's like actively pushing against what it's trying to do whereas in other instances where you're just like describing a room or something it might not be so yeah so let me read a, a passage from uh later actually from the end of the book i will read the closing of the book um we're going to talk about the whole plot but over the course of the book young hay ends up in and out of uh hospitals uh at one or two points you know seeking psychiatric care other times just care for her literal body as she stops eating meat and starts wasting away and the Mm -hmm. third story flaming trees as i said is about her sister who's trying to care for her uh and in the end of the story they're in an ambulance together um and in is looking out the window of the ambulance and sees some trees the trees by the side of the road are blazing green fire undulating like the rippling flanks of a massive animal wild and savage in stares fiercely at the trees as if waiting for an answer as if protesting against something the look in her eyes is dark and insistent and i think mm-hmm. in that quote you get both like Green fire undulating like the rippling flanks of a massive animal is that's someone playing around with the English language, having some fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like Inhe stares fiercely at the trees. The look in her eyes is dark and insistent. That has the directness that I think the story has. And mm-hmm. maybe more may, you know, to to my lay ears. Whatever I'm using to dis- to discern the translation feels as in keeping with the spirit of of the story. Um, yeah, there's there in that L.A. Times piece I quoted earlier. Um, there is another uh, critic who's who's referenced uh, Tim Parks. Okay, who has no knowledge of Korean, but said um, <laughs> okay in the New York Review of Books. Um, commented on the 19th century ring of some of the. <laughs> Hmm. some of the pros okay. and um and sort of pinpoints that there are passages that are very direct and there are passages that are less so and without knowing what the source text is like sort of intuits that this is the this is something that the translator is adding you know sure 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 there's there's overall there's a quality of intense strangeness to the novel that it sounds like that a little bit well and and i don't just mean that as like wow this story's wacky (laughs) this lady won't eat me i mean in the like it it is (laughs) a little that it is about uh people behaving in ways that are 
not easily explainable both to themselves and to the people around them. And it is about like that process of when you're just, you look at someone, you're just like, how are you that way? And why are you doing the thing you do? And I know it's a thing that, that you and other parents I know have remarked upon just like, you can't get inside a baby's head and like know why a baby does baby things really. Cause even the baby doesn't know. Right. But, but when we are all adults together in the world, we operate under at least a baseline assumption that we can figure each other out. Mm-hmm. And this book is really about characters butting up against that. And what happens when this woman, young Hay, is like, you know what humanity I'm done. I'm just not going to be a person anymore. Mm-hmm. What if I was a tree? And that is like, <laughs> now that doesn't really become her explicit goal until the third story. But oh, like, well, good. I'm glad we get there. Though. Lady is trying to leave behind human brutality. Um, so other dream sequences that we get of hers, there's one where she's like watching a bunch of other people eat meat and it like, you know, she doesn't like it. There's one where she is like picturing a time where her dad, like a dog bit her. So her dad mm-hmm. tied it up to a motorcycle and drove it around in a circle until it died. And then due to some like, you know, family wisdom or something to cure the dog bite, she had to eat some of the dog. And so he like had her eat it. And she's like, I, I didn't just eat some of it. I ate a lot of it. And it, it Is that where the uh, hair of the dog that bit you comes from? Not, something related maybe, to that? Like you drink, mm-hmm. like you put the hair in your drink? Maybe. <laughs> Wait. I'm, I'm conflating the idiom with the actual thing, aren't I? I'm doing that yes, again. No. Yeah, I, I guess that's just a, that's an old-timey medicine thing. Which I think is so. That, that like cures like. Sure. I learned that from Sawbones Great. back in the day. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, and so she kind of comes to this conclusion not even a conclusion, a feeling that she is very uncomfortable with her body. She is feeling like it's, it's, it is go- the violence in her body is going to kill her. And that violence is the lives of all the animals that she's eaten and the, the immense brutality that has caused them to die. Um, and so she just swears off meat entirely and she'll never eat it ever again. And when her husband's like, well, how's that going to work? Because I need to eat meat. <laughs> her uh-huh. response is, well, you don't eat every meal at home. You do go work and eat lunch at the office. So, like, that's one meal taken care of. Go for it. <laughs> and he does not seem satisfied with that answer. Um, his response to her vegetarianism, Andrew, he says, as far as I was concerned, the only reasonable grounds for altering one's eating habits were the desire to lose weight, an attempt to alleviate certain physical ailments, being possessed by an evil spirit, or having your sleep disturbed by indigestion. Those are the only reasons that he would be okay with someone being a vegetarian. (laughs) I mean, there's some reasonable options in there, right? Like the demon thing, you know. Hey man, if I was possessed by an evil spirit and someone was like, "You, if you stopped eating hamburgers, maybe it would go away. Yeah, like it's... It's really it's it, it based on what I know of their marriage is astounding that he would extend that courtesy yeah, to her. True. Um, I am not a vegetarian. You're not a vegetarian. I'm not a vegetarian. Um, Susanna only eats chicken and fish, which mm-hmm. is as close as we get. And I there is no um, 
there there ain't no rule says that I can't eat red meat if I don't want to. And sure. sometimes if we, you know, back in the before time, if we went out, um, I would get like a hamburger or something. But really, like it, it, it started with just like me not eating that much red meat because I didn't want to make a whole nother thing. Yep. But, <laughs> but as time has gone on, I have like consciously avoided it more, um, partly because of just the... I know that any like meat production has an outsized environmental impact, but I know that's especially true of like cattle yeah, relative that's true. to other that's true. kinds of kinds of meat. So that's been some of the reasoning. But I guess I just had you know, I've slowly sort of adapted and I don't miss it that much. I don't know what question you were gonna ask. No, but that's I was where just I, wanted I was to just go. asking because yeah. like in our house we we mostly avoid red meat, which is like a dietary thing for Laura, and I've mostly adapted to that. Um you know, because uh, like you, it's like I'm not gonna cook a steak for me and something else for you. Like, right? You know, and it just becomes a thing that we've adapted to. Um, I mean, chicken will get you there. Yeah, and, and if you need a and if you need a fancy meat, like salmon is fish is there is for right you. There. Yeah, yeah, fish is there for you. And I I also recognize that I don't really have a moral argument a like to combat a vegetarian who's like. But the but you're eating a a thing, and I don't have a like I don't have a counter argument. I don't, I don't have a counter argument. I don't believe either, strongly to, in the like yeah. I'm a predator. I should eat the meat. Like it doesn't. I can't say that with a straight face. I'm not like hey, I'm gonna eat a burger to trigger you. No, I can't because I can't. I can't with that. But also. If you're going to come at me about eating chicken, I'm just going to be like, I understand what you're saying. And I'm just like more OK with it than you. Are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so this book, this what, is, is, what yeah. is interesting about this book is that and I, I I guess I wrongfully assumed it coming in was that it would spend more time with her vegetarianism and, and the problems it would cause with people around her. And that's really only like it's only this first story where. Um, her husband, obviously, now she's become unknowable to him because she would she won't even really explain her dreams to him, um, and the the idea that a dream would cause her to change this behavior in herself rather than environmental concerns, ethical concerns. Uh, I guess it's sort of an ethical concern because that's what her dream is about, but she's not like rationalizing it that way to uh, to another person. Um, this is so sad to hear because they were so close before. They were really close before. He knew, like, he knew her really well mm-hmm. before this happened, and now she has become unknowable. See, that's interesting. She, the the woman who he married out of convenience, who takes her bra off sometimes. Yeah. I, I know you were two kinda, peas in a pod. These guys. You were kind of. I know that you're goofing, and because the book does not treat this as like a sad marriage, like a a tragedy that the marriage is falling apart. Right, I think yeah. if if anything. Han is interested in like what are the bad reasons that these people got together in the first place and why why is it something this drastic that really breaks them apart because so what happens is they she starts wasting away physically like even comments on herself like as she is basically eating like soybean paste and kimchi all day um that She's getting really jagged and like concerned about what she's gonna like cut in the world because she's so concerned about causing damage to the world around her. Um, hmm. He, you know, they don't really have a sex life, as he phrases it. 
She'd generally been willing to comply with my physical demands, he said at one point. Uh, but she won't have it anymore because he smells like meat. <laughs> and so she can't. She can't. When he comes home from work and he's eating meat and she can't take it. And so she needs him to leave. Okay. Um, and there's a big scene. It reminds me of in the setup. I don't know why my brain did this. It's the climactic dinner at the end of Mrs. Doubtfire. I know that's not what this book is. But you oh know how God. like a high stakes business dinner is a good setting for a scene in general? Uh, I, get not, I don't know if I say good all the time, but it is a stock scene yeah. in, in comedy. It's like, oh, the boss is coming over, and the, but my family's embarrassing. Yes. And, that, <laughs> and so that everybody is has the, to be on their best behavior that so is I can the, get the setup promotion. here. And it, for some reason, my brain always goes to the dinner at the end of Mrs. Doubtfire, <laughs> but that's mm-hmm. my own problem. Um, and she, of course, won't eat meat. And so they go to this dinner. She is not wearing a bra. People notice it's a little strange. But they get past that part, and then when they start bringing around the food and someone tries to give her meat, she's like, I don't eat meat. And the boss says, my word, so you're one of those vegetarians, are you? Well, I knew that (laughs) some people in other countries are strict vegetarians. And even here, you know, it does seem that attitudes are beginning to change a little. Now and then there'll be someone claiming that eating meat is bad. After all, I suppose giving up meat in order to live a long life isn't all that unreasonable, is it? And there's just general table talk of being like, of people being like, well, this is unusual. And it it kind of, I can feel Han like being like, wow, they really are not giving this woman any empathy whatsoever. They are all very, right, yeah. that most of them remark on how, how terrible it would be to be judged by a vegetarian. <laughs> like, <laughs> as opposed to what the clear othering of this woman that they are doing. Um, at one point, you know, they ask her why, and she's like, I had a dream. And her husband's like, yes, she had some bad dreams because of indigestion, so she stopped eating meat, and everyone's like, okay, okay, okay. Um, but it's clearly very embarrassing for him, uh, so much so that he calls, like, a family intervention uh, where he has all of her family, like, agree to meet with her and like, tells them what's up, and they're like, this is very strange and embarrassing for all of us, so of course we're going to yell at her about it. Um there's another scene where he does force her to have sex with him. It's a bad scene. It's meant to be bad. Yeah, uh, sure. And again, like the men in this book, like most they're wastoids and they try to <laughs> and they try to impose like their very kind of no pun intended, like impotent will on the world around them. Um, and so that's how scenes like this land. It's really frustrating and rough. Um, sure but we get to the big family meeting and again like this book lives and dies uh and it mostly lives by these really memorable scenes where the family all gets together her very patriarchal father is there her sister Inhe and her and her wastoid husband are there uh and her brother is there and her mom is there and they're all like why don't you eat you used to eat meat we always think about you when we eat oysters because you used to love oysters why are you just so different and weird now and it like bubbles up to the point where her father hits her and then starts trying to shove pork in her mouth. And it's the like, it's the like, mm, it's that really tense feeling where it's like it almost could have been comedy, but now it's bad and makes you feel bad. It goes over the line, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she like wriggles away, spits the meat out, and 
uh, like cuts herself with a knife so that they don't like hurt her anymore, and then she gets Ugh. taken to a hospital. Okay. Um, and the end of that story is like her being like walking out of her room at the hospital, sitting like out on a front bench like holding a bird in her hand that's clearly dead and she like looks at someone she's like have i done something wrong and is just like what are you like even as you're even as the story has primed you to be like all the people around her don't get her um something is wrong in how society can't like actually take care of her uh, this, this is an indicator, I guess, that you, the reader, are not going to come to a yes, better understanding you, of her either. You will yeah. never. Um, and so the next two stories, as I said, the second one, Mongolian Mark, is about a guy whose name is not Mongolian Mark, but <laughs> he is uh, Yang He's brother-in-law, married to her sister. He's a wasteoid. He's wasteoid husband yeah, he's guy. a wasteoid video artist. Um <laughs> You could just say video artist. Well, hey, <laughs> hey. Uh, no, no offense, video artist. No, it, it, the book does spend like a little bit of time on how like inscrutable video art is to the people in his life, where he makes these like kind of grayscale video portraits of people succumbing to late stage capitalism, and like his wife doesn't really get it, and he doesn't really care to share anything about it with her. Um, she does all the work in the house, raises their young son, runs her own store, and he's off kind of doing whatever. He had a dream, Andrew. He had an image okay. that changed his life where he saw an image of a man and a woman locked in a carnal embrace, their bodies cool. all painted with colorful flowers. And he has right, these... Sounds pretty sick so far. Yeah. it's sort. It seems like a like graffiti that should be on a panel truck, like for a band. like <laughs> And... He is very into it, and it's kind of like taking over his brain. And then he hears about this birthmark that Young Hay has, uh, that usually goes away as people age in this in this world. Um, that looks like a flower, and he realizes that the sketches he's been drawing of people boning, actually, it's her. And this consumes him in kind of a. Uh, indie movie way so where it's his wife's sister yes and okay. and at this point um the the husband from the first story has divorced her she's living on her own how much time has passed a f- maybe a few months three years transpire over the course of the book i think this one is within a few months of the first story okay um and the The whole second story is about him needing to make this video where she is naked, painted with flowers, and then a second video where a man painted with flowers has sex with her. That's what he needs to make happen. Okay? Yeah, it sounds great. It's very sensual. She's oddly into it because she really likes being painted with these flowers because she wants to become a plant, as I said. Obviously, Because she's done with humanity and all the bad stuff that humanity does to each other. Uh, so he hires her to come video model for him. It's like kind of weird, but okay. Uh, he hires his buddy to be the number two. And as soon as the buddy's like, Hey, what actual sex? No, I am out. (laughs) This is not in my contract. I do not do full frontal. And what do you, so what in this situation, Andrew, if you were this wasteoid, what would you do? Think about it. The guy you trusted to be in your porn video with your (sighs) sister-in-law backs out what do you do i mean okay so i'm not gonna say what i would do i'm gonna say what i think this dude would do which is 
oh no, I guess it's going to have to be me. Yes, of course. <laughs> And he, Who could have foreseen this turn of events? So he pays someone to paint him with flowers, and then he goes over to her apartment, and they make the flower video, and they do have sex, and she confesses to him something about how she thought that not eating meat anymore would make the dreams go away, but they haven't really, but it's just taught her that she needs to not be human, essentially. Uh, of course, he wakes up and his wife has come to the apartment and been like, where were you? I came looking for you and you're here and you're painted all over in flowers and you clearly had sex with my sister who's going through a lot right now. I'm calling. Wait, so it actually it. sounds like she's figured it all out. Oh, she completely. Well, she, <laughs> she watched the video. See, when you're a video artist and you take the videos and you leave the video in the camera. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Not a good idea to make your art involve like adultery and crime and stuff. Yeah. Not a good idea. Case. Yeah. Um, so that story ends with the authorities coming. He like makes a dash for the balcony as if maybe he's going to like just take his own life because he can't. But he finds himself rooted in place, as I think the turn of phrase. Plants oh, of, like roots. Plants, of like course. in a plant. Hmm. Um, and that's I found that story very compelling in this in the sense that he is like another forgive the pun he's like blossoming into this really tragic arc for himself <laughs> like he it is a series of bad decisions that are making him feel like different and alive and in ways that are that reveal how poor of a person he was emotionally to the people around him beforehand sure yeah it sounds like you you don't you don't end up with sympathy for him i no, guess no you do not um you do end up with more of an understanding of him maybe yes and and you can you can he yeah he is not as bad a guy on the face as the husband in the first story to my opinion um it's all relative it is all relative uh so and then the third story flaming trees is about inhei who's the sister who gets cheated on uh, and who is now the only person in Young Hae's life who is taking care of her. She's like visiting her every week in the hospital where she's been committed. Uh, in Hae's marriage has fallen apart. Um, and at this point, Young Hae is like, she's completely refusing all food. If they want to put any nutrients in her, they have to do it intravenously. And it's not enough. Um, and so her position, her, her health is worsening. And sometimes when she's just in the hospital, she'll just start standing on her hands, like doing handstands all the time. And you're like, what's up? And she's like, I'm trying to be like a tree. I'm trying to grow into the ground. Like she is, it is the book. <laughs> and this is an interesting thing that book does. Like, I really feel like feet are kind of like roots and they're just made for standing already. So I, I don't know. No, she's standing like, sounds that, backwards. She says that she's like, I honestly, I thought it was one way. Turns out it's the other way. What if trees are just their hands are in the ground? I've had it That's wrong the a, whole time. Huh? Teaches, teaches me about making assumptions, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, and the book does not like there are, there are doctors and stuff who, talk about schizophrenia and talk about things like that but the book is not presenting an easy answer to those things and uh -huh. because you never get like a her perspective beyond these dreams there's no way for the reader to have like an objective diagnosis and so i think that is a, a deliberate choice on han's part that like it is about this kind of non-human behavior and like shirking of society in general mm -hmm. and the need to be connected to people which i think in 
in the worldview of this book is like inherently violent. Uh, yeah, I mean, given the premise. Well, yes, given the premise and, and given the way that the characters just, treat each other, there is. Yeah. Um, and so the violence that we encounter in Inhei's story, I, I think I can do this pretty quickly, is just that as she looks at what is happening to her sister, as she looks at what is happening in her own life, that her marriage is falling apart, she has this little kid to care for, and she keeps feeling like she should just run away and not deal with any of it. Um, her The violence that Inhei inflicts on the people around her is one of negligence or one of like inaction uh and the closest we get for any sort of character background on young hay is like when they were kids their father was abusive and young hay took the brunt of it and in hay is like well could i have if i had been different and like stood up for her or like helped her run away or something would she be here i think the phrase the book uses of course it was entirely in vain this act of mentally picking up and counting the puddock stones that had been laid out on the board of her sister's life uh, it's a reference to the game go mm-hmm. um and just like that regret is not useful um but in right her- and well like even even if you could have helped it's not like I don't know. It's not like the the net good in the world would have been changed. Like it seems yes. like he would just would have found another uh, outlet for for that abuse and that it was going to be bad anyway. Yes. I don't know. Well, and and I when I first read when I first read that passage, I thought mm, that's a bit of a too neat explanation for this very purposefully inscrutable thing that Young Hay has done. Uh, and then on further reflection, like getting ready for the recording, I was struck by thinking that that is like Inhei thinking about it and trying mm-hmm. to rationalize it. And it's been so important that we don't actually know all of what is going on inside of Young Hei because she is deliberately trying to become not a person so that we can't. She wants to be a tree. God dang it. Like she does not <laughs> want us to know her in any real way. Mm-hmm. Um and so that kind of, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I find that type of like background narrative for why a character is behaving a certain way, especially deployed as quickly as is in this book, kind of, it can be underwhelming or it can be too pat. Uh, yeah, yeah. And upon reflection, it was easier to put it in the mind of the character, and that's to Hans and Smith's credit, I suppose. Than than it was to say, oh, this is the author telling yes. me this is why this happened. Yeah. Okay. Even though that's a, that's a uh, tricky line to draw, I guess. Yeah, and and may other people reading this book may feel differently, and and may actually find that explanation useful. Um, but it took me out in the moment, and then upon further reflection, I was like, oh, no, I think I know what's going on here. Mm-hmm, I figured it out. Um, and it ends with them having like a very violent attempt to make Young Hae ingest food again. Um, In Hae actually like, bites a doctor who's trying to shove food down her throat because she can Yikes. see the violence of the moment. Um, and then they are transferring her to another facility where they can essentially i guess it's like hospice care because she's just gonna waste away um i feel like trying to bite a person who's trying to yeah it's bad that's gonna get you more meat it's it's all very bad that's not gonna keep it's okay (laughs) it doesn't go good for anyone um and it kind of it just ends with inhay having this feeling of like should i be 
severing my connection from humanity as well. Like it is clearly going badly for me. And the only thing I have left is my son. Is that going to be enough to keep me in this social contract? Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, the book's rad. It's like these people are a mess. Um, But I, I think something that probably is at the heart of why the translation has been sticky for people is like the particular tone where you need to kind of communicate these non these non-literal ideas or these I, these feelings that are not easily explained and one way to do it is to be very simple and spare and one way to do it is to like add a bunch of fluidity to it and attempt to make it in a attempt to make it like sound poetic to an english speaking ear um and the book is like Smith's translation is doing a little bit of both. Um, sure. But as I've tried to impart, I think for me, the thing that really stands out is just the images like the w- wife un- unexplained at the fridge, the father trying to shove meat in his daughter's mouth, the like specifics of the sexy video art, um, her standing on her hands in a hospital and you could just like knock her over if you want. And then she'll talk to you about being a tree like yeah it it really boils down nicely to these incredibly vivid images yeah um, like set pieces almost yeah set pieces you know it's it's i i feel this my only recent experience with korean media is parasite um sure and that i think has some similar like really incredible striking wow, that person is doing that. Like that is a, a interaction of a few characters that I will not forget. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this book certainly has that in spades. Okay. Um, any other thoughts from the reviews that you, you read, you were, t- you were telling me about the New York times review being particularly wild. Oh no, it was, it was just, it's uh, the voice of the reviewer was, was bothering me. Like they, <laughs> I quoted this for you in the, in the slack, like they, uh, when Young Hae awoke one morning from troubled dreams, she found herself changed into a monstrous vegetarian. And that's where the misleadingly simple echoes of a certain classic premise end. If the quote <laughs> and the reference isn't actually doing any work, you don't have to make it. Like, that's that's what was bothering me. It has sure. absolutely nothing to do with the book or, or anything, <laughs> which is why it didn't come up organically except here at the end. Okay. Yeah, I was just... Uh, just not all, not all references add something. <laughs> Well, then I apologize for my Mrs. Doubtfire reference. That well, yeah. I mean, at least you connected it organically back to the work, I suppose. I'm willing to put that time in. What you were doing was referencing a sort of stock scene that this either reminded you of or was playing off of, and the example you could think of was Mrs. Doubtfire. Was it the most relevant? No, but no. it was the entry point into the conversation and it got us where we needed to go. I don't think either of those things are necessarily true of this the opening convoluted of this. <laughs> some would say Kafka-esque <laughs> reference. Andrew, I know that you're a great dad and so you would never do this. But if you wanted to sever all ties with the human race and become something that was not a human, what would you be? Huh. Do you have do you have one? I I'm gonna think about it. Well, you know, there were those brutalist structures. like there are these brutalist sculptures in 
like the former Yugoslavia that are really rad and are like full on concrete, abstract feelings. And I feel like I could be one of those. Now, maybe that would still be speaking too directly to the human spirit and I should just be a rock. But I could be I could be a concrete sculpture, I think. Not of a man. No, please. (laughs) Of like the notion of escape. I was going to say, like, a bird. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, what kind of a, bird? A big, a big, I don't know, like an eagle or a yeah. hawk or something. Okay. I know they're, carry-on fowl are interesting because they're, they seem like they're gross, but they're just big birds. They're big, nasty birds, and I like it. When they fulfill um, a vital role in any ecosystem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just like you. Um, yeah, same. <laughs> Mostly because of the things I choose to eat. Uh huh. Um, I guess being a tree would be neat because. Well, I, I guess I don't know how much pain trees feel. That might that might swing my decision a little bit. But trees host a lot of other life, and it would be interesting to see how that feels. Does it just feel like how I've got like bacteria in my gut, or do do you feel different when you have like other animals living in you? Mm. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. There was a LitHub interview where the the interviewer asked Hong Kong, like, uh, a German scientist wrote an important book about the lives of trees, their social networks and bonds, and how animate they truly are. Uh, And, like, did you research this? And Han's like, nah, but that sounds rad. (laughs) Like, I would love (laughs) to read that book. Um, And that is the same LitHub interview where she talks about um, this book and the relationship to, like, korean patriarchy um it it was again i talked a lot about the really bad dudes in this book and so i wasn't sure how much this is like representative of larger issues and she kind of nips that in the bud a little bit again no plant pun intended um she says if i could say one thing this novel isn't a singular indictment of the korean patriarchy i wanted to deal with my long-lasting questions about the possibility impossibility of innocence in this world which is mingled with such violence and beauty these were universal questions that occur- that occupied me as I wrote it. Um, so it does seem to be kind of sending up, you know, conservative societal values and things like that, or just the notion of societal values at all. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I guess I'm not like, I'm not equipped to, I, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know n- enough about um, South Korean patriarchy, like specifically to, yeah. s- to pick out what, uh, tropes and and character types it may or may not be riffing on but it does seem like having a working understanding of you know any any kind of misogyny or patriarchy will let you know what you need to know yes to understand the men in this book yes That's what it seems I, like I think it is not a coincidence that the third chapter is one that is from the perspective of a woman um i i think that that communicates the particular types of violence and and things that han is interested in um i think that's our episode andrew there you go what's your favorite vegetable real quick i like a brussels sprout these days those are good Mm -hmm. um you just gotta roast them with a little olive oil a salt a little pepper don't gotta get fancy i've gotten really into grilling green beans lately i don't love a green bean they're too I don't know. They're too green beanie. Sure. That's fine. For More me. for me. <laughs> it's like 
How I don't like cucumbers because they make everything taste like cucumber. But it's like cucumber taste is like green water. Yeah. And it just gets all over everything. No, you just budget some cucumber time. That's that's all you're going to eat for a little while. So it doesn't make mm. any... You don't need to taste anything else. You just got the cukes. I only like cukes when they've been soaked in vinegar and other things to make pickles. Pickles are good. Pickles are Not sweet good. pickles, but regular good Sweet pickles. pickles get out of here. Regular pickles can stay. You can send us an email about pickles or whatever at overduepod at gmail.com. Tell us about your favorite cukes. Hit us up on Twitter or Facebook at overduepod. Thanks to the Handalorian, Graham, Woody Cat, Michael, Rebecca, Peppernell, Hannah, Sarah, Emily, Kay, and Christina H. Thanks, y'all, for writing in. We appreciate you listening. Uh, folks want to know more about the show, Andrew, where should they go? Overdupodcast.com is the website. Up there we have links to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, our RSS feed. We're also on Spotify and Stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. Um, we post up there uh, links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Um, next week we have friend of the show, Margaret H. Willison coming on to talk about an unseen attraction by, by KJ Charles. Yes. Yes. Which I think will be a fun time. We haven't had Margaret on solo in a while, so it'll be a fun classic ep vibe. You <laughs> yeah. Know? That's what I'm looking for. So, uh, and then we have a new listener page for people who are just getting into the show. If you don't want to just like listen to an episode about a book that you know those are ones that we think show what we're doing yeah that's uh, it I our, think that's it anything else our theme music is by nick larangis thank you nick uh we have a link to his stuff in the episode description um and that's it andrew get us out of here all right everybody thank you for listening uh go eat some vegetables and until we talk to you next time try to be happy That was a HeadGum Podcast.